Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. The following episode of Killer Genes contains graphic and sensitive information and material. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Killer Genes Stripped Down, where we talk about everything true crime and then some. You'll hear about the cases that are close to us and go behind the scenes of true crime reporting. We'll also talk about case updates and breaking news, as well as speak with some of our friends and colleagues in the world of true crime. Now, we're going to be sharing things we've never been able to talk about because certainly inappropriate to post online, but this is the platform that we can finally share it, what really happens when gathering true crime stories. So let's get to it. First off, we want to say thank you for listening to our episodes on the missing persons case of Bianca Jones and the conviction of her father, DeAndre Lane, for her death. Now, note that I said Bianca Jones is a missing person. I want to make that very clear that her case is still considered an open investigation by the Detroit Police Department and that no death certificate has been issued for Bianca by her mother. Now, for me personally, it's hard to fathom that DeAndre is serving a sentence of life without the possibility of parole for the death of Bianca, who is still considered a missing person. Yeah, that word without is questionable for many reasons. But listen, we want to hear what you have to say on whether you think DeAndre is guilty or if he has been wrongfully accused. Please go to our Facebook page or Instagram and let us know what you think. But here's the bottom line. Bianca is still missing. Whether she is alive or deceased, her family deserves answers. And Melissa, before we talk about some of what I think and you think are the major discrepancies in DeAndre's case... What was your first impression of DeAndre? Well, we've interviewed a lot of convicted and we also have interviewed a lot of wrongfully convicted. So I'm always open-minded at all times. And I know people that have more evidence against them, like our debut case of Black Widower, Thomas Randolph, getting a new trial. And so it's very interesting. I, I thought that he raised solid points. Mm-hmm. And I think he's informed and it doesn't add up. Yeah. There's something that just obviously does not sit right with this case. And I was very interested to hear what Tad Tobias had to say regarding no body conviction cases. And even he agrees that it didn't have those three legs of the stool to stand on. The, and, I love that yeah. analogy, the stool. Yeah. He, that was one of the best, uh, I think, most insightful interviews I've ever done with an expert. Were you surprised that, because I know I was, that Mark McClish, the statement analysis expert, came back and said that DeAndre was showing deception during his interrogation? Yes and no. I knew he would. But as you know, everyone knows, I at times disagreed. I think that there are environmental, cultural background within oneself and the way they were raised that comes into play that I don't think someone like that can gauge and his pattern on how he does it. I don't think it's a clear meter across the board for everyone. And that was my issue. I just, I didn't think his methods fit DeAndre for Mm. various reasons Mm -hmm. that I expressed in that, in that episode, but I wasn't surprised. I knew he'd feel that way, but I'm still leaning towards, you know, this doesn't make sense. 
And this needs to be looked at again by multiple agencies. Absolutely. So I want to break down some of the evidence or lack thereof in this case that just doesn't sit right with me and things don't add up. And so one of the things that has always fascinated me was this alleged murder weapon, as I I like to refer to it as the loofah on a stick. It's just ridiculous. I'm sorry. Everything about it makes me mad. Yeah. I mean, look, DeAndre's DNA is on it and, and he doesn't deny that it's his DNA. He full on says, I discipline my children. I used it to discipline all of my children. But this is an alleged loofah on a stick that according to the prosecution, he viciously beat Bianca with it. And Bianca's DNA is not on it. How is that possible? And it's, it's a sponge. It's I a mean, sponge wrapped in tape on a stick. I mean, yeah. we'll, we'll post the photo for everybody on our Facebook and our Instagram page just so you can really kind of get an envision of what this looks like. It's but it's just unfathomable to me that this is, you know, this atrocious murder weapon and the DNA is not there. It, it doesn't add up. And the other thing that doesn't add up is the cadaver dog, a dog. Now, look, I love dogs. They are my two dogs are the light of my life. They are my greatest loves in the world. Her children. My children. But there's just certain times, and look, I'm all for search and rescue dogs, cadaver dogs, but if a dog is going to alert on the sign of decomposition, there has to be some sort of biological or forensic material that backs up the dog's signal. And that did not happen in this case. My thought is that they shipped it in from the UK because this particular dog and its trainer, maybe I'm guessing, this is my theory, they have, I'm thinking, a conviction rate leaning towards law enforcement, an outcome leaning towards law enforcement. Mm. What? Why else would you ship the dog from the UK when I have personally done stories on these cadaver dogs in every state? I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of these dogs available in the United States. Well, and remember that Detroit PD's search and rescue dog, one of their search dogs that was deployed to the car when the car was found that morning to go and track Bianca scent, that dog picked up on Bianca scent and tracked it to an abandoned building. So I do have faith in dogs, you know, but unfortunately Bianca wasn't found, but the fact that he did follow her scent away from the vehicle. So well, the dog did its job though. That dog it, it did its job. on blood, but it was also a used car seat. It, and that's the other thing. And it was it's a, a hand drop me down. of a drop of a drop, right? It, well, actually, no, there was no blood on the car seat. There was blood on the pillow. Right. But according to DeAndre and Pinky, you know, she was teething. I mean, you know, she's two years old. But the search dog picked up on Bianca's scent leading away from the vehicle. So how is it that a cadaver dog is allegedly hitting on this car seat and the closet of DeAndre's house, but yet the alive scent of Bianca is being tracked away from the car? They, the, the two contradict each other. Exactly. And that also leads to what else they found in that area. Oh, the ski mask. I am flabbergasted by this ski mask that when this search dog goes to the abandoned building where he, where this dog allegedly tracked on the scent of Bianca, they find a ski mask. And DeAndre said one of the men was wearing a ski mask and they don't take the ski mask into evidence. Those are police officers with a narrow scope of he did it, period. Not even 
opening their mind to any other possibilities, which what they're always supposed to do. It's just even when you show up to a murder, I'm sorry, a suicide, you're supposed to investigate. Could this be a murder staged to look like a suicide? So if the person is telling you one man was masked and you find a ski mask led by the dog, why wouldn't you run it? That's just a gross error. I have no idea. And and just going back to the cadaver dog as well, because I went back and and listened to some of what DeAndre had to say and, and what his attorney, Terry Johnson, had to say. The cadaver dog barked at the closet. And one thing that I remember asking DeAndre early on, because I've been talking to DeAndre for years, is that is the hamper in the closet. Because, okay, if she had her pajamas on, if he changed her after she died, those clothes would have the scent of decomp on it. So I said, DeAndre, was the hamper in the closet? He said, no, there was nothing in the closet. And I have the photos taken at the house shortly after that same day the vehicle was found. And there's like nothing in this closet. There's like, you know, a couple of hangers, some kids toys, just like, you know, hanging on the hangers. I mean, it's virtually pretty much an empty closet. There's nothing in it. There's nothing even in it to bark at. And you have to remember that, you know, this again, wasn't DeAndre's home. It was his friend's house. And, you know, who only knows whatever happened in that house earlier, but there's witnesses that put Bianca alive in bed that morning. You know, his friend, Lisa, who he lived with said she peeked her head in the room and saw Bianca in there. Uh, Ginger says he took her to the bathroom. You know, his nephew says, you know, she was sitting up on the couch. So why didn't the dog bark on the bed, the bathroom and the couch if she was supposedly dead that whole time? There's also too many people in that house when you think about it. For there was a lot of people. Mm-hmm. A murder to be, or even an accidental death to be committed and hidden. Right. There's just too many people. Now. She was sleeping in bed with one yeah. of her sisters. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind. There was three girls, three of DeAndre's girls were in that bedroom. His nephew's in the living room. His girlfriend, Anjali, is upstairs. So don't even get me started on Anjali changing her testimony. Right. That, there's another one for you. Yeah. And speaking of testimony, there are multiple witnesses, both that were at trial and that we found since then that saw her alive either the morning of the carjacking or in the days and weeks following. Yeah. And that's what's chilling. That's when this uh, case turns more chilling, especially when you have a former police officer that lost her job over it and the other witnesses that came forward that you found and, and the recanting of testimony as well. The fact that she's alive, and of course you have to say, well, who would want to steal her? Was it a stranger? Was it someone related to the family? Was it, you know, someone that knew the family? Who knows? But there's just too many people that claim to have seen her. Right. Stranger things have happened. Absolutely. That could happen in life. That has happened before. Absolutely. And speaking of strange things and witnesses, Rico Blackwell who originally had told investigators that he saw Bianca in the backseat of that car. Then when it comes time for trial, he changes his story. And I've heard rumors. I, you know, have not been able to corroborate this. So I'm going to preface that, but I've heard that Rico Blackwell has a family member that is affiliated or within the Detroit police department. And also that Rico has a significant criminal background. So I don't want to speculate here. Did he cut a deal to right. change his testimony? Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's that whole thing about him is shady and who knows what ethical lines that he's walking there, if at all. But also I want listeners to just Google carjackings with a kid oh. inside. Yeah. 
thousands will come up. Thousands. I mean, as a news reporter, I covered countless carjackings with the kids still inside. And Detroit is one of the top cities for yeah. car thefts in oh, America. Yeah. I mean, this is not, you know, and that's what everybody always says. Oh, no carjacker will ever steal the car if there's a baby and if there are a child is inside of it. It's not true. It, it's happened hundreds and hundreds of times. I personally have covered those stories. Yeah. And another theory that to me is just absolutely preposterous is the fact that DeAndre could have put Bianca's body in the local garbage incinerator. That wasn't taken too seriously, thankfully, because that's just ridiculous. I mean, but it was brought into play. Theory was that. Oh, that was the main. That was their main. After he beat uh, Mm -hmm. Bianca to death with a sponge. Yes. Okay. And then dumped her body. I forgot that. In the secure County facility that you need badges and, you know, permission to go into. It's not like you can just, it's not like you go to your local dump and go burn your trash. You need to have permission. You need clearance. You need badges. He's not just strolling in there in Lisa's car and going to dump Bianca's body. And, you know, the whole cell phone tower thing that puts him on that side. And again, this was disputed at the trial where... And this is just so everybody knows this too, is that where we're sitting right here, yeah, there might be a cell phone tower that is within a mile of us, but it might be really busy. So our cell phone is going to go ping at the other tower, which might be two miles away from us, which is why sometimes you can see your signal goes up and down just a little bit. So it's pinging off all different ones. You're in downtown Detroit. Well, the pings are never, they can be precise to a degree, but they are, sure. there's a wide range. Absolutely. It's an area. It's Absolutely. A and you're in Detroit. So if you're cruising through downtown Detroit. It's harder for city areas. You're going to yeah. be pinging off of multiple different cell phone towers as you go along. Now, for me personally, I'm not sure if DeAndre killed his daughter or not. Now, I don't think he did. In my heart of hearts and my being and everything I've read, I do not believe he did it. So if I was the one on that jury, I do not feel that I could convict him for the murder of his daughter, Bianca, beyond a reasonable doubt. Melissa, with all the evidence presented and that you've seen and heard from everybody and witnesses, what do you think? Also, by the way, that's you talking to DeAndre personally for hours and hours and hours. So if he was going to slip over years, years, years. years. so if he was going to slip up, you'd, you'd get that indication and that gut feeling. And he's never contradicted himself on anything. There's never been a time. I mean, I've been talking to him since, since 2017 and there's never been a time where I was like, wait a second, DeAndre, you just said this, but five, four years ago, you said this, that, that, that's that's never happened. He's always stuck by his story. So. Do I think he murdered his daughter? No. So then you fall to, okay, well, it was an accidental death, right? Which that happens all the time. Also the timeline, there's just, there's no way he set out to murder his kid. Did something happen and it was an accidental death that he covered up? There's that possibility, but I'd have to go with no. And regardless of if there's people that think he did do it, I think regardless, he deserves a new trial. Absolutely. Because we just, you have to think about the possibility of an innocent man, a father to other children locked up for life without the possibility of parole if he didn't do it. And especially when it comes down to a sponge and a bark. Right. And and that's absurd to me. And it's a joke. I agree. It's, It's a joke of... Everything about this to me and the way it was handled is an absolute joke. And I don't know how 
those involved can just feel good about this conviction. And there's a little bit of an update here. So speaking of possible new trial, well, it's kind of case adjacent. Let's just say this. So if you all remember when the former police officer, Nikki Gibbs, said that she notified a colleague that she saw Bianca, a detective, actually the homicide detective on the case. And this detective said, oh, never mind, because I've already issued the warrant for DeAndre's arrest for the murder the day before. Well, that detective was Karen Miller. And about two years ago, Karen Miller got herself into a little bit of trouble. In May of 2019, Miss Miller, along with three other defendants, had pled guilty to conspiring to defraud the United States for theft. All right, what she did, I'm going to try to break this down. Miss Miller was part of a crime ring where she stole traffic crash reports from the Detroit Police Department and gave them to one of the other defendants for cash. Stop. Yes. <laughs> that person then used those traffic reports, traffic crash reports, to get the names of the victims so he could use them and put them on high alert with personal injury lawyers, chiropractors, healthcare professionals. So it was this whole insurance fraud ring that she was a part of for stealing traffic crash reports from the Detroit Police Department. Now, I will say that Miss Miller uh, has pled guilty. And the last time I checked uh, was that she was still awaiting sentencing. Yeah, but if she's done that, what else? What else are you guilty Makes of? What else wonder. are you crossing the lines for? Right. To make sure your case is sealed. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, that's I, I didn't like it either. Well, I didn't like it either. We have a, another brilliant mind that worked this case. Yes. That it's going to be very interesting to see what he has to say. Absolutely. So we would like to welcome investigative journalist, fellow colleague, and personal friend, Jason Matera. Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Melissa. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. So Jason and I, you know, we, you and I first reported on the story of Bianca Jones and DeAndre Lane back in 2017. And I, you know, just want to, for our listeners, get your take on the case. It was puzzling when, when you first brought the case to me, Kelly, there were so many different layers. And it was it actually it was sort of a typical Kelly case, right? There's always, there's, it's never, you know, there's, there's almost like a graph you need to, to see all the different parts that were going on. And this one had a lot, and it was it was unusual because the police, this was open and shut, right? The guy had, had been convicted of this awful crime, right? Killing his, his boy, Bianca, two years old, or three years old at the time. Two. Or two, two years old, right? I mean, now... That right there is unsettling. Like, you have to be a seriously, seriously psychotic individual to kill your own offspring. I mean, seriously, especially at two years old. I mean, this is, even if it was unintentional, right, which I think they were saying it was like an unintentional spanking or beating or something, and that led to her death or whatever it was. But it just seemed weird because, but then you, you talk to the family members who were like saying uh, not only DeAndre had nothing to do with it, but we're getting reports that people had seen her alive. Even, and correct me if I'm wrong, Kelly, there was a former police officer? Yes, Detroit, correct. Detroit police officer who had seen, who, who swore that she saw Bianca Jones. 
I so you well, and not only have all this- yeah, not only Miss Nikki Gibbs, who was a patrol officer right. for Detroit PD at the time, but then you also had a court-appointed private investigator that yes, also yes, saw that's her. That's right. That also saw. Her. So, and we knew this ahead of time. So I'm like, this is strange, right? This is really weird because both facts can't be true, right? She's either dead or or she's not. And if she's not dead, the body was never recovered. If she's not dead, then she's out there somewhere. And you, as you noted, there's a court-appointed investigator as well as a, a Detroit police officer who had no skin in the game here, just reported what she saw. And Nikki Gibbs, uh, wasn't she then hounded after by her bosses too? I mean, yes, there were she recriminations. Was. Yep. Yeah, for going against what the official doctrine of the Detroit Police Department was at the time. So it was just weird because it was not – complete tunnel vision. It was like, not, can we find out what really happened to Bianca Jones, but this is what we think happened. And anyone who goes against uh, that, uh, that dogma, we are going to attack. And it'd be one thing if there was a body, right? Then case closed. You have a body. There's no body here. So you have no body here and conflicting statements about what happened to be Bianca Jones. And, uh, yeah, I just thought it was fascinating. And then interviewing, then you get to the family, and you start interviewing people. I think we interviewed uh, DeAndre's, was his nephew? Yes, DeAndre's nephew, said, Travion. Deandre, Travion, yeah. Who said that Bianca was alive when he was in the car and they, he was being brought to school, that she was alive. And at this point, she's supposed to be dead and like stuff, you know, just uh, that DeAndre had just what, put her in the car at this point, but she was dead. And the nephew says, no, she was very much alive. She was very much alive that morning. And then Nikki Gibbs seeing her and the person she saw her with was, had her dressed up like a boy, but she had these really distinct eyebrows. I mean, and then the, the mom, what was the mom's name? Really intelligent young woman. Pinky. Uh, Pinky Jones. Pinky, that's right. So then they're like, I remember we interviewed her eventually too. And there were accusations that she was involved. and. Quite frankly, after interviewing her, I didn't even I didn't I didn't know what involvement she she had, but she was I mean, she was pretty convincing that she didn't have any involvement and she was genuinely concerned. And it, it's just overall heartbreaking and, and 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 strange, heartbreaking because Bianca still hasn't been recovered, and she could be alive somewhere, or she could you know, possibly be dead. And then if DeAndre didn't do anything, the guy is serving a, what a life sentence in prison. Life sentence without the possibility of parole. Without the possibility of parole. And listen, we've done so many prison interviews. I, I, I can't, every time I do a prison interview, the person swears up and down, I, you know, I'm innocent. But mo- most of the people in prison have pled guilty, have pleaded guilty to their crime. DeAndre, from day one, and even looking at the police interrogation, I, it looks like a guy who genuinely, what was he, he carjacked? Mm-hmm. Uh, was that what happened? Yes, yeah, carjacked. carjacked. Yeah, it was a carjack. I mean, the story is almost five years old to me, so I'm trying. He's carjacked, and in, in seeing the like the police interrogation, it looks like a guy who's genuinely destroyed and was carjacked and didn't find, and, and his daughter is now missing. It didn't seem like some mastermind who killed his daughter and then had uh, tried to figure out some way to cover up the crime. So. Even interview, didn't we? We interviewed DeAndre Lane too, and like he at this point, there's nothing. Is he still maintaining his innocence? Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. I mean, and he was emphatic about it too. Like he just, there's something you can, when you do enough of these prison interviews and interview, I've interviewed criminals who said they had nothing to do with 
what they've been accused of. And then like six months later, they're arrested. And I knew like, oh, the guy's definitely like, you know, you just kind of develop this spidey sense about uh, if the person is innocent or not. And there's some discernment. And I remember at the time, just after I heard DeAndre, I thought that he, he presented a believable case. And not only that, it's not just criminal, right? Someone who's been convicted and wants to get out of prison, but you have actual witnesses who have no relation to him saying that they saw her. So something is up. Something is up there. So, so Jason, do you think that there is an innocent man serving life in prison right now? But also, you don't have to answer if you're uncomfortable, yeah. because that, that is a big question. <laughs> yeah. And you were very thorough in your explanation just now. If you want to say it, say it. If you don't, you don't have to. I would say DeAndre Lane, deserve, in the very least, deserves a new trial. Because what was not adjudicated thoroughly Yes. Do I, do I think he's innocent? Well, I, I think the evidence leads me to say that he, he could very well be. And our justice system is set up so that, you know, you have to be beyond reasonable doubt. So I would say it doesn't satisfy me personally. It doesn't satisfy beyond reasonable doubt. So in that case, he, he shouldn't be in prison. But it didn't seem that Nikki Gibbs, the officer, it didn't seem like the, the investigator were given enough or both respect and credential to what they had to say. And it struck me as weird as how, how quickly they've been dismissed and even smeared, especially Nikki Gibbs, because here is a woman who knew Bianca's face because this was, she was missing at the time. And she's a patrol officer goes to a response to a 911 call and sees someone, you know, who looks exactly like Bianca Jones is dressed up as a boy. I mean, the, there's too many circumstances that would, would have me comfortable with DeAndre laying in prison at this point. Plus what was the, remind me Kelly, there was a, there was a strange relative. Who was the person? Yeah. The house, uh, the house that had the, the disturbance yeah. call. Yeah. There was, yeah. there was some, some rumors that that person might've been, related to somebody involved close to the case, but it's never been corroborated or confirmed. So, you know, it's something that I'm still working on uh, and I'm kind of looking into that. But the other thing that bothers me, and I've said this, I said this earlier, was that, you know, if I was sitting on that jury, I do not think that I could convict him beyond a reasonable doubt with the evidence or lack thereof that was presented. I mean, for all intents and purposes, he was convicted by a dog barking and a, right. a cadaver dog, a cadaver dog or a search and rescue dog are just supposed to be tools that investigators use to gather evidence. Well, this dog barked, but there was no evidence that a body was ever in the location where that dog barked. So, so how is that star witness number one? And how is that one of the things that sealed DeAndre's fate? I don't have yeah. an answer for that, but I do think me personally that a severe injustice was done in this case and that mm-hmm. DeAndre does need a new trial. Yeah, we both agree. Yeah. He deserves a new trial. I mean, yeah, it's hands down. And hopefully I forgot he, about the cadaver dog portion of it. That's right. Oh yeah, from the UK. You yeah. You can't, yeah, you can't, you can't interrogate or cross-examine a cadaver dog. I mean, it, it's, it's preposterous for that 
the dogs would be the the main the within, smoking gun. Seriously, the, yeah, the, with no with no body fun. Yeah, I mean, I'm I uh, he deserves a new trial a hundred percent. And we hope I innocence mean, projects out there, but there's many yeah. um, that have it. We know that they have it at least two, and we hope they they take it seriously and take a close look. I agree. We'll keep Thank you posted, you. Jason, as we learn more. Yes, please do. Thank you. We want to update you now on a case that has been making headlines across the nation, that of Colorado City, Texas teenager Haley Dunn, who in 2010 was a 13-year-old cheerleader. Her dad says she was a tomboy but loves glittery stuff as well. A few days after Christmas in 2010, on December 22nd, Haley's mother, Billy Dunn, checked in on her sleeping daughter before she left for work that morning. She was going off to work a 12-hour shift. When Billy Dunn came home, Haley wasn't there. Billy's boyfriend, Sean Atkins, says that Haley went to a friend's house to stay the night. The friend, though, said she never came over. Haley's father, Clint, who lives down the street, also said she never even showed up there. Now, Billy and Sean had a bit of a tumultuous relationship, and in the past, both had called 911 on each other before. In the days following Haley's disappearance, Billy and Sean even threw a New Year's Eve party. But when they were asked about it, they said it wasn't really a party because they were concerned that Haley had run away. It was a support gathering with family and friends. Yeah, they actually got a lot of heat uh, in the media for that gathering. I remember it was all over the news and Nancy Grace went pretty hard on them as well. Now, during the investigation of her disappearance, Billy, the mom, took two polygraphs. And she had to take two because on the first one, she was under the influence of something and they said, come back. So she came back and she was stunned to discover that the results came back as her being deceptive. That's what it indicated. Now, police, they searched Billy's home with her live-in boyfriend, Sean, and they actually found a lot of material and printouts on serial killers in the house. And so Billy was just saying, you know, it's a hobby of her and Sean's and they happen to be big fanatics of true crime, like millions of others. What's the big deal? I remember I interviewed the father, Clint, and he just said how odd that they had that fascination. And that was the research that they had all over the house as the daughter went missing. So his alarms went up. Now, Sean Atkins, the boyfriend, he took a polygraph. He failed the test. But this is what's so interesting. He was found to be accurate on two questions. And I'm just going to paraphrase the questions. Obviously, I don't have the list in front of me. And it said, where's Haley? And he said, within the county. And police said, who should we be looking at? And Sean Atkins responded, us, meaning him and Billy. Now, the dad, Clint, always felt when he told me this um, years ago, he said, Billy knows something. He just didn't know to what extent she played a role. Billy was arrested at one point for lying to police, and it was an incident where they came knocking down the door wanting to talk to Sean, and she said, oh, he's not here. I don't know where he is. But they happened to have an arrest warrant on them that she wasn't aware of, so they revealed it. They were able to search the house, and Sean was there. So they took her down and uh, charged her 
for obstructing the process and the investigation. Now, police talked to Sean's boss on that day that Haley went missing in 2010, and he showed up to work about 6 a.m., bought a Dr. Pepper, left his job, and he apparently quit that day, but never told Billy. Now, I did interview Billy about 2017, and at that point, mind you, seven years had passed. Haley still, there was no answers on who's responsible. She said at that point she hated Sean, and she no longer believed him, and she felt that maybe he did play a role in her disappearance. So also what I found super interesting, uh, and it's, it's interesting because he was never arrested. On the very same day that Haley went missing in 2010, Billy's brother happened to drop by the house randomly, and he saw Sean at the house. So that puts him in the same place where Haley was on the day she disappeared, and he said he basically looked like a deer in headlights, and Sean never, ever gave an alibi. So, Melissa, it sounds like police have always suspected that Haley's mother, Billy, and her boyfriend, Sean, had something to do with Haley's disappearance. Well, yeah, they just didn't have enough, but I mean, it kind of looks like there's enough probable cause and circumstantial evidence, right? But most district attorneys will not move forward on circumstantial evidence alone. They just need more. Correct. And the saddest part of this whole case is that in March of 2013, so a little over two years later after her disappearance, Haley's body was found. You know, however, investigators have never released the cause of death. I'm sure that was something that will come out here soon. And her body was found 25 minutes from her home near a lake. And the other damaging evidence is that during the investigation, law enforcement found out that Sean's phone pinged in that area on the same day. And now breaking news Sean Atkins has finally been arrested and charged with the murder of Haley Dunn. He's being held on a $2 million bond. So this is, mind you, 11 years later. Just hours after the news broke about the arrest, I spoke to the private investigator, Erica Morse, who was hired by Haley's father, Clint Dunn, and she tells us how the arrest came to be. We received a tip last year that I'm not sure if it had a bearing on this or not, but we did kind of reconnect with law enforcement last year. And it was June of last year, I think, when things kind of really started picking up again. I sat on Sean for about three days to verify his whereabouts, turn that information over to law enforcement. And then we had a conference call with them, Clint and myself, in August of 2020, when they told us that they thought that it was time to move forward. Last month, Clint and I had a Zoom meeting with the Mitchell County, Texas District Attorney. And at that time, he told us that they felt they had more than enough evidence to move forward and that we would see progress in this case no later than June. This afternoon, I received a phone call from a city official in Big Spring, Texas, uh, which is where Sean is currently booked inside the Howard County, Texas jail, notifying me that dispatch had just alerted the mayor's office that he'd been taken into custody. Picked up the phone and called Clint immediately, gave him the news, and he said, I had a feeling it was going to happen today. 
Was he able to really take in that information 11 years later? (laughs) Um, I'm not sure. (laughs) I think he was probably in shock, just like everyone else. You know, when, when we met with the DA last month, he said, I'll believe it when I see it. And when I called him today, he said, I haven't heard from the DA yet. I just want to hear it straight from the DA. And then I, I just got here a few minutes ago and I said, any news? And he said, I missed a call from the district attorney's office. <laughs> and I said, okay, well, there's your confirmation. I said, but to let you know, we've already verified he's in the system. We've already verified that he's on a $2 million bond and that he is booked into the Howard County Jail on the charge of murder. Okay, I know there's a trial coming up, and I'm I'm not, obviously I'm not going to press, but do you know in safe terms, did they rerun DNA? Was there something overlooked that they ran through the system again, technology-wise? Was it a confession? What What was the breaking link after all these years? They never had enough. So uh-huh. why? what was it to make it enough? Is it just circumstantial? Do you know anything about that? I do. I do. A few years ago, uh, there was a piece of evidence that I, I can't disclose what it is at this time, but there was a piece of evidence that Clint felt was probably a censure in this case. When he brought me on his PI, he tasked me with finding a scientific test that would connect this evidence to Haley's death. I located the test and asked the then DA's investigator to do the test, and he basically laughed at me. Turns out he did the test anyway and got the results that we expected to get. I love that Um, he did it anyway. I mean, (laughs) unfortunately, that's how you were treated, but I love that he just did it anyway, and wow. Okay, so that was the break in the case? Sounds like it, unless there's more that we are unaware of. It sounds like that was a pretty big part of what brought this to fruition. And may I ask, and excuse me, it's been a few years, what is Billy's role with you and Clint? Absolutely nothing. Okay, I'm just now piecing that together. Okay. We don't know if she is going to be charged. We don't know if she is being given a pass in exchange for testimony. We don't know where she stands in in this case and in this situation. Yeah, because there she was on probation for lying about his whereabouts, her boyfriend's whereabouts at one point years ago, right? Correct. For obstructing the case when they attempted to serve a search warrant at the house. Yes. Okay. I mean, I, I interviewed her. It was a very emotional, interesting interview for Crime Watch Daily that she, you know, wholeheartedly publicly said he did it. And so I thought she was also on a mission to bring... Sean down as well, but she may possibly be involved or just naive or what's your hunch from investigating this and keeping such a close eye on it? I think it's a combination of, this is just my personal opinion, I think it's a combination of having been manipulated, chosen the wrong guy, and may have taken a little bit too long for her to see the light. Melissa, thanks so much for catching up with private investigator Morse. Yes, we'll just have to wait and see what happens at the trial with Sean. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with Haley's mother, Billy. You know, I have to say, I spent a lot of time with Billy when I interviewed her that day, several hours. And she seemed very genuine 
to me. And I think I do agree with the private investigator, Erica. I think that she would never harm her daughter. She had nothing to do with it. I just think she was manipulated and just fell victim to this guy, this dude that she loved and believed, you know, he was a good liar. That's what I think. So yeah, he's locked up two mil. And I have to say this entire time, the dad, Clint, he fought relentlessly. And I, I know that he suffered some health problems because of all of the stress. And oh, the, that's the, sad. Yeah. And yeah. that happens a lot, actually. It does. The health deteriorates mm-hmm. with the loved ones because especially if there's no answers. And he was, you know, like the private investi- investigator said, he may have found the potential leak, link to solve this wow. case. Yeah. yeah. And he pushed them and pushed them and pushed them. And it was not easy, you know, trying to force law enforcement to pay attention to something. But it may have been the piece of evidence that led to his arrest. Well, that's the perseverance of a parent. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to continue to follow this story in all the latest developments. Thanks everyone for listening. Follow Killer Jeans on Facebook and on Instagram. It's at Killer Jeans, the podcast. Also, be sure to like and subscribe to Killer Jeans on Podcast One, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Podcasts.